I'm finna put all this in my book bag because I'm from the streets. Yeah, yeah. Boom, what's going on? It's your boy Ambition, and welcome to another episode of the MYFE podcast. Today with me, I have a serial entrepreneur who is a founder of an email outreach company. And those of you who are entrepreneurs out there know how much email outreach is a big portion of almost every entrepreneur's business. Uh, today, I have with me sales expert and serial entrepreneur, Adam Rosen. How are you doing, Adam? Doing great, man. It's, uh, it's good to be here. I appreciate you having me, Ambition, and let's, uh, let's get into it. All right, definitely, man. So tell us a little bit about yourself and the uh, current project that you're working on. Yeah, so to get into my current project, I'll take like a quick step back because I had a, a fir- I first had a tech startup that, that I had for about five years before we were acquired and that led into my company. So uh, first things first, I never held a real nine to five job. So I went straight from, I did a one-year MBA. I was building out an entrepreneur program at my college, nice. did a one-year MBA, three weeks before I graduated, me and my two co-founders at the time said, let's dive in, let's start our, our first business. Uh, we did that for about five years. The general gist of it was we built a community of college student organizations from all across the country, uh, about 100,000 student clubs, like think engineering clubs, business clubs, mainly professional clubs. And then on the flip side, we sold to uh, employers like Bank of America, Amazon, AT&T that want to recruit those students, but also want to uh, get data on that, on those students. So they would sell, uh, uh, they had a surveying mechanism through the platform that they would use too. Uh, So we did that for about five years, sold the company back in 2019 to a college marketing firm. Now, when I say we were sold, everyone thinks I'm out, you know, in Hawaii with a Mai Tai, retired at, you know, 26, 27 years old. Unfortunately, that was not the case. Um, So I had a million failures, errors along the way. Uh, But that was the first part of my journey that led into what we're doing now with uh, email outreach company where we book sales appointments for startups. Right. So one thing you mentioned was, uh, you know, having a million failures along the way. Um, And I definitely relate to that. Right. Like even before I uh, started the current podcast and, you know, my current online course academy, uh, it was failure after failure after failure. Um, And I know for myself, weathering the storm was really looking ahead and knowing that what I'm building today is only going to be a stepping stone for what I'll build tomorrow. But you know, a lot of uh, other entrepreneurs out there, they're, they're in the midst of the failure. And I know when you're in the midst of it, it, it doesn't really feel like that. You're questioning everything. So what brought you through those recurrent failures? What, what was the thing that uh, kept you pushing forward and kept you uh, failing towards success, so to speak? Yeah, man. Great question. So number one, uh, my business partners, if I didn't have my business partner there with me, uh, I don't know if I would have been able to persevere through it because, you know, when your backs are against the wall, that's when you really see what someone's about. And through all the shit that we went through, uh, he never faltered. I never faltered. And just having each other there as a support system to encourage each other, that was huge. So that's number one. Number two, I love studying success and what makes successful people successful. And every time you hear about a successful story, all those people that we look up to uh, for centuries and centuries and centuries, the one thing they have in common is that they failed, but they overcame those failures. Um, And one of my favorite quotes is by George Washington when he said, perseverance and spirit have done wonders in all ages. So that was always written up on my on my office, staring at it every single day. So just that constant reminder where it's not about, you know, getting knocked down. Every single one of us, especially as an entrepreneur, that's just part of the life. Uh, it's about are you able to overcome that and become better and stronger because of it? 
No, I definitely agree with that. Um, it, it's really the uh, telltale signs of somebody who's in the entrepreneur journey because it's popular and somebody who is uh, just committed to the journey and to what it will turn you into, right? So yeah, man. love to tell people it's a, it's a journey of becoming, not a journey of uh, revealing. Yeah, you, you see, I'm sure you see it. We all see it. Like the people that are all excited, they post on Instagram, hey, I'm starting my company. I'm so, exci- I'm so excited, blah, blah, blah. That's great. Right. How many of them are there six months later? How many of them are there an, a year later, five years later? You know, it's a, it, it is a battle of attrition because so, so, so few entrepreneurs make it big or wildly successful, even successful period on right. their first company. Um, and it does take a lot of time. And there's a lot easier paths where we can make a lot more money a lot quicker if we didn't go the entrepreneur route. But I believe it being an entrepreneur is, within, is, is in your DNA. If you're able to overcome these things and you're able to win that battle of attrition, what's on the other side of that is, is much more special. Right. So then definitely with, with you knowing all of those things, right, you definitely conveyed to us the wisdom that you have behind being an entrepreneur. Now you're in the niche of you know, marketing and specifically all the way down to email. Uh, why email? Why not text? Why not some of the uh, other technologies? I'm pretty sure you've heard that question a million times, but it, what's your answer to that, man? Why, why email? Why not text? Uh, why not voice search? Why not inbound marketing, right? There's a ton of different angles, but why email? Yeah, I think with any entrepreneur, you should do what you're great at and what you know how to do. Um, so with my tech startup, Uh, The reason why we were acquired, but not acquired for the amount we wanted to is because we had a problem around product market fit. We were never able to get to true product market fit, which in a SaaS business, if you're not at least at 95% retention or better, uh, you're not a true SaaS business. For Mm -hmm. us, we were, we were much lower than that. So we, we weren't, we weren't able to hit, uh, you know, those acquisition goals through our product market fit. However, what we were great at was getting on the phone with the biggest customers in the world all through cold email outreach, where everybody says cold email doesn't work, it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And the truth is they're right. It does not work if you don't know what you're doing. But we were forced to learn how to do it. So uh, it was, we were always able to get on phone calls and sell through all through cold email outreach. So I remember I was talking to one of the startups that I've been advising for a few years and uh, their CEO Pete said, hey, can you talk to my head of sales? Uh, You know, we're struggling to get sales meetings on the calendar. So I talked to her. I went back to Pete. I said, hey, man, I, I can help you get more meetings. I called on my business partner. I said, let's do this for him. Uh, we did it for him. It worked out well. And then we added another, another, another customer. And now that we're seeing the product market fit that we didn't see in my tech startup, it's like, all right, let's let's figure out how we can do this from all over the world where we can build a, you know, a, a profitable, scalable company that adds a lot of value to these startups. But uh, a long-winded way of answering your question is I'm not an expert with text message marketing. I'm not an expert at any of that other stuff, but we're pretty damn good at, at sending cold emails and knowing how to get uh, meetings booked through that. So that's what we stuck with. Wow. That's, um, you know, definitely something interesting that you put forward is that you're right. Cold, cold emails don't work. And we normally say cold calling doesn't work. We, there's always those taglines. So what's the difference between, you know, your cold emails and someone else's cold emails? Why, why is your stuff working? Yeah, great question. So the truth is most people, again, just don't know what they're doing. What I mean by that is a lot of people send these long, bulky emails where it's like three, four, five paragraphs. You know, I do talks on Gen Z because 
of my tech platform are built around college students. One of the things we say is that Gen Zers have the attention span of a goldfish, eight seconds. Millennials, they ain't much better, 12 seconds. And we all have a shrinking attention span. Now, for some reason, we think anyone gives a shit about the email that we sent to them, especially when it's a cold email. Right. No, we're only skimming it. So when you see these bulky paragraphs, no one's going to respond to it. So that's number one. Number two, we don't do a good job of figuring out what is that hook. So I call it the Trojan horse. Like, why should somebody care? Why should somebody read this email? We get so many emails every single day. Why the hell does it even matter? Why should I take my time reading your cold email versus anybody else's? So that's number two. And then the, the third biggest thing is we don't follow up enough. I remember a lead generation company reached out to me this about a month ago. And I said, all right, I'll talk to you. They do some services that we don't do, but one of the things they do is cold email. So I asked what they do around that. Number one, they don't guarantee any meetings. They just want the person to see their email, which I thought was pretty wild. Uh, but number two, they said that they follow up maybe two or three times over the course of three months. From mm. our data, it takes 3.8 meetings, or sorry, 3.8 emails to get one successful meeting booked. Wow. So the truth is people just don't follow up enough. One of the clients we work with, it took eight follow-up emails for this person to get back to them. She got on the call two days later, she bought a pilot package. Now that's about to be a six-figure deal um, because of eight follow-ups that it took. If we stopped at seven, we wouldn't have got that meeting for them. So the third thing is we just don't follow up enough. Mm. Wow. So I, I really like what you, you, uh, you, you've turned back, right? You said, well, number one, we need to pay attention to the attention span of our audience, right? Uh, you mentioned something that I've been telling all of my clients, all of my customers, every, uh, customers, all of my people on the online course Academy, nobody cares what you're talking about. Right. Uh, I have a business partner that I'm working with where, you know, they, they recently worked on a logo and I mentioned, Hey, let's just put it up on AB testing. Right. Mm -hmm. Let's put it side by side next to, you know, what our brand designers built. And, you know, there's a lot of interest, a lot of love in the, the artistic side of the house. And what I'm explaining is you're not going to get these people to sit down to explain why this element is here, right? Nobody cares, right? That's all stuff for you, right? You did that because you like mm -hmm. that. All we see is the elements that are thrown there and how well they hit almost immediately or not. And I, I love the fact that you said that, man. So I'm probably definitely going to make sure that I get this out to a couple of my people almost immediately. Um, well, you know what it is? Because I love that. I really want to stick on that point you make because I think it's so important. The reason why, like even in the tech world, and I, I was victim of this, we would create all these cool features for the technology that were actually super cool, mm -hmm. but, and we wanted to share it with everybody. Oh, look at, you know, new customer or current customer, look at this new feature. But you know what? They really didn't care, but wow. I would keep sharing it. And the reason why I would keep sharing it is because it was my own ego. I was like, this is super cool what we built. It's just an ego thing. And the more we can remove ourselves and realize, hey, no one gives a shit about you. It's nothing personal, but no, right. why should they care? They have so many other things on their plate. We all have our own concerns, our own lives. The way you can show you care about them is by getting directly to the point, whether it's in a cold email, whether it's in a logo, whether it's in a website, I don't care what it is. Show you value me by showing that you can get right to the point and say, hey, here's the problem that I solve. If you're interested, take this action. If you're not interested, that's okay. Go on with your life. Um, and I think that's something as entrepreneurs that we often struggle with. And I used to struggle with it, probably still do struggle with, but it's something that I constantly try to focus on. Show people you value them by making it easy for them to take the action that they want to take if it's something that they need to do. I, I had a coach that kind of broke it down to me. He's like, hey, so do you want to live off of this business or do you want to die falling on your sword? 
right? And I, I hold that same saying. I ask people all the time, hey, you want to make money or do you want to fall on your sword? Um, so I definitely agree with you there. Um, and I, I think the work that you're doing is really amazing, man. Um, really, a lot of uh, entrepreneurs and marketers are focusing on building their email list. But what if you really took into consideration that it's going to take eight plus emails, 10 plus emails? Don't even, which, and this, this is the next question I'm going to ask you. Would you recommend starting a campaign with less than the uh, eight emails that you mentioned or um, less than a certain amount of emails, right? Because w- what I'm hearing from you sounds like if you're even going to reach out in the first place, make sure that you already have that persistence built into your plan. So mm-hmm. what is the recommended number of emails that you would advise uh, any of our marketing people out there listening? What's the number of emails that they should have in the campaign? So what we do for our cold outreach campaigns is nine total emails within one campaign. So it's that one primary email, then eight follow-up emails. And the follow-up emails, I I don't do, we don't do long, bulky, like regurgitating everything we send the first email. No, what we do is we send it as a reply to that first email and it's just short and sweet. And all that we try to do really with the follow-ups is just basically say, hey, hey, we're here. Did you see this? Hey. Hey, we're here. Did you see this in a pleasant way where we're not like degrading them for not responding to us or being passive aggressive for them not responding to us and just saying, hey, we're here. If you're interested in what we shared, please, you know, reach out, please book a time, please. Let's have a conversation. But if you're not interested, just say not interested and I won't reach out to you again. But oftentimes we don't send any follow-ups or enough follow-ups. So we don't ever get the true data to know, did the campaign even work? Did it really resonate? Wow. So I love what you just mentioned. You uh, started opening up the gates of Babylon for me with the, the D word data, right? Um, data analytics has been like my stuff, right? So uh, I was a cybersecurity professional before jumping full time into entrepreneurship and monitoring data is just what we do, right? We analyze data. We understand how the users at a company are operating based off of the data and marketing is just the flip. Whereas in cybersecurity, I'm trying to get someone not to click a link. In marketing, I'm trying to get them to click the link, right? Interesting, right. Um, so how how big of a role does data analytics play when it comes into understanding even just who you're emailing and whether, you know, any sort of prediction of how successful you're going to be? How big a role does data analytics play both in your strategy and uh, while you're live maintaining, seeing whether or not that's working? Yeah, great question. So the big thing is always, how do you get to email market fit? So we call it email market fit. So part of that is what is that good email that resonates? So what is that solid email that's going to resonate with your audience? But number two, who is that audience that's going to resonate with that message? And a lot of sending cold emails is testing and pivoting, figuring out, is this our buyer or is this our buyer? Is this the hook? Is this the Trojan horse or is this the hook? Is this the Trojan horse? And part of how you figure that out is through the data. Because it won't lie, you know, the data tends to be pretty consistent too. Um, like for like once we get to that email market fit with our customers, we have a pretty good idea every month. If we send X amount of emails, here's the open rate we should get, here's the response we should get, and here's how many meetings that should lead to. Uh, but the data will always tell the story if it's working or if it's not working. And the great thing is, is everything is trackable now. It's so easy to track now. Well, you can look back month over month. What was the messaging? Who do we reach out to? What were the results? And then we like to do it at least in three month increments to give it a real shot to know, did this work or did this not work? So even if it's not working over a month or two months, we want to try to give it three months to say, let's get a full sense as to, is there email market fit here? If there is, let's keep running. If there's not, let's test and pivot. 
Love it. Love it. Love it. All right. So there's somebody listening right now and they're like, man, Adam's amazing. I want to be just like Adam when I grow up. Right. Uh, What would you say is the first step for them learning how to really get into being a tech entrepreneur and really, um, like you said, really coming up with a market fit and making sure that they really have that high uh, retention rate? I think I believe it was that you mentioned where you're uh, opting for a retention rate of 95 percent. How would you recommend someone get started uh, being a tech entrepreneur? Yeah, it's a great question. Number one, I don't know why anyone would want to take the path of, of, uh, of being me, but um, if anyone that wants to be a tech entrepreneur, number one, with entrepreneurship, I used to believe this, and this might be a little cynical, but I remember when I was in college running that entrepreneur program, I would always be like, everyone should be an entrepreneur. Everyone should be an entrepreneur. Everyone should be, want to be an entrepreneur. Everyone could be an entrepreneur. Truth is, it's not really made for everybody. And that's not a good or a bad thing. It just isn't. And that's why we have to look within ourselves and say, do I have the DNA that is is, uh, interested in going through the shit that I am going to go through as an entrepreneur, which is most likely going to include a ton of failures, uh, you know, some mental stress. It's going to include probably not paying yourself as much money as you can make elsewhere. It's going to be a longer journey than we give ourselves credit for. It's probably going to mean sacrificing time with family and friends. So number one, it's even looking within yourself and saying, is this really meant for me? And if it's not, that's totally okay. It's not like if you're an entrepreneur, you're the best thing in the world and we need you. And if you're not an entrepreneur, like you're, you know, you're awful. That's not the case at all. Um, It's just about knowing what's in your DNA. So truthfully, that's number one is just, are you, do you, do you have, the uh, the chops to be an entrepreneur. And if you do, the only way to really test it, or if you think you do, is to try to dive in and to, uh, to test it out and, and see if you have the stomach to, to go through what it takes to get there. I definitely agree with you on that. It feels, um, oftentimes it feels like being an entrepreneur is saying you're a fighter and everybody's like, sure, you're sure about that? Get in the ring, man. Right. Right. And, um, you get in a ring and it, it really is like practicing martial arts versus getting in a fight. Uh, anybody who's done both of those things understand that they're two completely different um, fields, right? Like it's two to, it's a pool compared to the ocean, right? Um, and I definitely agree with you. I also think that the more that entrepreneurs focus on accepting the fact that this isn't for everybody, especially those of us who are working with customers and clients and you know, especially if you're, you know, any sort of business coach and trying to get people into entrepreneurship, the the faster you realize that this isn't for everybody, the much, the easier it is to deal with the stresses that will come from dealing with your audience, right? Um, because they will accept it faster than you will, right? There's people out there who would love to be an entrepreneur, but they, they're not interested in putting in the work and they understand they're not interested in putting in the work. Uh, you got to give those people an easy out, right? Like leave the back door open for those people. The people who can look at the back door and go, no, I don't, I don't want to leave. I want to do this, right? Like I'm going to subscribe to wake up tomorrow to be disappointed about how many people didn't open up my emails, mm-hmm. right? But those are the people that you want because you're right. It's going to be a lot more disappointments that's just to get to the failures or just to get to the successes. And once you get to the successes, you fully understand how you got there and then it becomes repeatable, or at least that's the way it's been for me. 
hundred percent. It really is like that saying of like, you jump out of an airplane and like you try to figure out the parachute on the way down. Cause that is the truth of it. Like you can only be so prepared to start a business, especially if you're someone who's starting it at a young age with no, no experience, which is what I was. I had no experience. And, you know, for me, I, I, I was just coming out of grad school. I had a great job offer that was willing to pay a lot of money. I turned it down to not get paid. The first year of our company was an R&D project. We were not a tech company at first. We were traveling around Boston, speaking to colleges. We were public speakers, basically, trying to figure out what our niche was. Um, So we did that for about a year. I didn't pay myself a dollar. I worked at a restaurant uh, to support myself. That was the only way that my money, my, you know, my, my bank account didn't, wasn't a straight free fall. It was just a slow, gradual free fall. So like, there's all that stuff that isn't really talked about in the, uh, in the world of entrepreneurship. And that's why, you know, you really got to just check yourself and say, is this really meant for me? Is this in my DNA? And if it is, if you think it is, then you really got to take that route because there's a lot of people that think it's in their DNA and then they start it and they're like, you know what, this isn't, this isn't meant for me. And that's totally good too. Not everybody should be an entrepreneur. And if everyone was an entrepreneur, this world would be a heck of a lot worse, a heck of a lot worse of a place too. Like we, we need entrepreneurs just like we need quality workers and people that can execute. So you need a little bit of everything. Well, no, I definitely do agree with that as well, because being an entrepreneur, you need help, right? And People who think you can do the solopreneur thing for an extended amount of time, you know, a full career of being a solopreneur seems like the most stressful life that one could imagine, right? Um, Especially if you don't have the help, right? Uh, Whether it's outsourcing to VA, I know you, you know, get being a tech entrepreneur, you mentioned earlier, one of the reasons that you've been able to do this and be so successful is your business partners, right? And I've heard people say over and over again, and even within my own experience, that it really is about building a community around you. So, you know, for those of you listening, if you're thinking, hey, you know what, I'm going to do this by myself because I have trust issues and I I don't believe I can trust anyone with seeing my logo or I don't believe I can trust anyone with seeing my business plan. You're in for a rude awakening as time goes on because you, you need people's help. Right. And you, you've got to figure out how to be uh, the type of person that can attract that help. Um, no, That's an ahead. amazing point. No, no, that that I just love that point so much, because like there's all these signs I, I, I always say of like being a pup as an entrepreneur. And there's a million things like that where I was a pup and probably hopefully in a year from now or five years from now, I'll look back at some of the stuff I say now. I'm like, wow. I didn't realize how much of a pup I was today. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I remember like one of the things I would say when I was younger was like, you know, I want to run this company until, you know, the day I die, I want billionaire or bust, IPO or bust. And it's like, dude, you are such a pup. You don't know what the hell you're talking about. The odds of that are so, so, so slim. And it's, that's not even where you should be thinking, especially in the early days of starting a company. But one of the other things that always gives me the red flag of being a pup is like, oh, I don't want to tell anyone my idea because I don't want them to steal it. Or I don't trust anyone else to work on this. I need to do this all myself. It's like, you're going to learn the hard way that that's not the way to go. Right. Most people don't care about stealing your idea. It's not that great of an idea. And the truth is it ain't about the idea. It's about the execution. If someone can execute better than you, well, tough they shit. They deserve so, to. Yeah. Like you couldn't execute. Everyone's got it. Every single person has had a conversation probably in the last 24 hours with someone who says, I have the greatest idea ever. It's like, yeah, join the list. Everybody's got an idea. It ain't about having the fanciest, sexiest, most innovative idea. An idea is great, but the execution is so, so, so much more important than the idea. So much more important than the idea. You're you're spot on with that, right? The, uh, The amount of conversations that I've had with people about 
copyright and trademarking. And I asked him, I was like, hey, is this business making money? Is it making you money? No, it's not making you money. Then it can't even afford to copyright or trademark itself. Don't worry about it. Nobody's stealing that from you, mm -hmm. right? Um, and the faster that people understand that, look, be this space that we're in where you don't want someone to steal something from you, that that's more to do with you. That's more to do with your personal traumas. Maybe, you know, you grew up as a sibling who didn't get all the stuff and your older siblings kept taking your stuff. Maybe, and I'm not trying to get in and, and trigger anyone, right? Like, that's not what I'm trying to do. But there's so many reasons for that belief, right? Because the actual reason that you're telling us where you're saying somebody might steal my idea, that is so slim to none, right? It's, it's, it's neither here nor there. You, and not to mention, you'd have to make it so big that they discovered that you took their name either way. Right. Mm -hmm. When you think about trademark and copyright, that's something that a lot of people don't understand is um, there are people in the world who are operating with names that they probably don't legally own and they're making a ton of money. But no one will ever know because nobody knows who these people are. Right. That's the main issue. Make it make money first and then make it trademark itself or copyright itself. If it can't afford the nine hundred dollars or the hundred and fifty dollars or two hundred and seventy five dollars. It, the idea hasn't proven itself. So I, I agree with yeah, you. Yeah, show you can add value. You know, it's like just show you can add value. Um, and until you do that, it's such a it's so it's so low on the totem pole of things you should be worried about. Now, there's of course maybe the one percent of ideas that really you should have trademarked or you maybe really should be quiet about. But for 99% of the people out there, it's it it ain't worth worrying about right now. Focus on adding value and everything else will take care of itself. I think that definitely depends on like the rooms that you're in and the level of resources that the people you're talking to have, right? Like we're not all sitting on Silicon Valley, uh, Valley right? Um, not sure if you watch the HBO show, but we're not all talking to Gavin Belson, right? Like I'm not talking to Elon Musk about my business ideas and he doesn't even care, right? He would much rather, he would actually much rather you build it and then he buys it from you. Right. He doesn't want to, why would he want to deal with the R&D, put team members that are very expensive building this thing? It's much, much cheaper for him for you to build this out and he could buy you once it's it's uh, it's adding the value and showing promise and showing hints of product market fit. But no, nobody cares. That just, again, goes back to ego. I was having this conversation last night with with a friend and, and we were talking about how like sometimes we get up and, you know, we walk and we're feeling insecure. We're like, everyone's looking at me or do they notice this like tiny little stain on my shirt or whatever? And it's like, the truth is everybody's focused on themselves as they should be. Nobody right. really cares, but it's our ego that thinks everybody's staring at us. Everyone's worried about us. And the truth is everyone's kind of tunnel vision with their own life, which is not a bad thing. We're all locked in. It doesn't mean you can't care about other people, have empathy for other people, but everyone's worried about their own worries. Um, so again, a lot of this comes back to ego and that's why right. I try to just release ego as much as I can. Um, but I know I, I could do a better job of it too. Uh, man, I'm, I'm sitting there a lot of days myself, right? Uh, I, I have a uh, quote that I kind of came up with. I'm pretty sure I wasn't the first person to come up with. And it's a reminder to myself to speak for my audience's ears and not my own ego, right? Mm -hmm. um, it, I love that. Yeah, because it's a reminder that, you know, personally, I, I acknowledge that I'm someone who has thought that people will only care about me based on my accomplishments. And then I grew up as an entrepreneur and realized, you know, that was, like you said, my public way of thinking. I call them plebs, right? I, people who have uh, problems leading every belief, mm. plebs, right? So 
my my pleb way of thinking was no yeah people will only love me based off of my accomplishments and then i grew up as an entrepreneur and realized like no people care about you adding value to them right like Tony Robbins, Michael Jordan, all of these big names, when you think about people who are famous, which I don't want to be, I would rather make a company that was well known than me myself be well known. Um, All of those people actually had something that they offered in way of utility. And one of the things I've been repeating to people is that utility is what helps people understand your value. Value is internal. And when I do something useful for you, that allows you to connect, look up and actually see my value, right? Mm-hmm. And once people understand, understand that that's the connection that helps people really see their value or really see, you know, your value, I believe that's where we start going, okay, I want to work with that person. I want to work with this person. I want to put this person on my team. But none of that ever happens before you see a body of work. You know, so I, I definitely agree with you. It's not about ego. It's about what you can do for the community and what you can do for other people. And that's where purpose is held. Um, it's it's hidden right behind. Nobody cares about you. Right. Yeah, it's true, man. I, I love that. I love that. That's awesome. All right. So tell us a little bit more about, you know, yourself. What what are some of the unique characteristics that have uh, about you, right? Your Your own personality, your own character that has really kept you successful obviously there's the introspection right you don't hear too many people saying i put my ego to the side and you know as i mature paying attention to those maturity levels but what what are some of the other characteristics that have really held you firm and helped you grounded as an entrepreneur i'd say personal responsibility is a big one just it's uh i feel like it's it's freeing to take the responsibility were, uh, versus giving blame. Because when you give blame, you're not in control anymore. But when you take the personal responsibility, uh, now all of a sudden you control it and you own that. Um, so I found that personal responsibility has been uh, one of the biggest things I look for. And anytime I find myself complaining or pointing the finger, I try to just, I don't physically do it, but at least mentally pour a cold bucket of water on my head uh, because I just know it's not the right thing. Um, So number one, I would say is personal responsibility. Um, But then number two, I would say is just, I've always wanted uh, something bigger. I've always wanted something more. I've always wanted freedom. I've always wanted, like, I've always looked up to the people that have accomplished these amazing, amazing, amazing things. And I've always said, I want that. And I think I can have that. Um, So it's always wanting something more. And then just trying to take radical personal responsibility. I'd say those are the two biggest things because I, you know, growing up in school, I did not do well in school. I was lucky to even go to the college that I went to. Um, I never enjoyed going to school. I never saw the point of it. Um, but I've always been a hard worker. I've always took, taken personal responsibility and I've always wanted something more. Um, and that's at least gotten me through, I think, a lot of the failures that I've had um, as I can see the bigger picture and what's possible. Man, I, I love the, the point that you brought up about school. I was telling my partner the other day, if if my English teacher and my writing teachers had told me that I would be writing emails and I would have all these landing pages to write and I would be doing copywriting, I would have actually paid attention in class, right? Like that would have been one of the more interesting classes to me. If people kept comparing it to, you know, we're not just preparing you for jobs, but whatever you want to do, that would make school, that would have made school much more interesting to me. But imagine thinking like, I had that same mentality. I was like, I don't need this crap. Like, 
why do I care what's going on with Shakespeare? Romeo's a crybaby, right? (laughs) And you get to the point where now you're an adult and you're like, how do I get people to to buy things from me? How do I get people to listen to what I have to say? How do I get people to even care what I want to talk about? And you you have to have those skills, right? So it that that's something that I'm glad that I've matured to learn, right? I, and I'm hoping that I don't sound as uh, boring and you know motherish and fatherish as my parents when I tell my kids, no, you're gonna use those skills, right? Um, right. But uh, and hopefully I can just pull them out from school and say, hey, you know, during spring break. Look at these emails that we write. These emails convert into X amount of dollars, right? Like I can actually show it instead right. of telling them. Hey, go out and get here. We uh, get lemonade. Here's what you're going to pay us for the lemonade. You're going to get the stand right here. We'll invest five dollars. But when I I'm going to give you five dollars to get your lemonade stand set up. But the amount of money that you come home with, you're going to give me twenty percent of it. And your goal is to get fifty dollars of sales, and you're going to sell every couple of money for a dollar. Now go hustle and make it happen. Like I, I love seeing kid entrepreneurs, and I wish we would encourage more of that. Now the education system is a lot bigger and deeper of a, it's a much deeper conversation. But I feel I, I feel like if we encourage less of the Pythagorean, Pythagorean theorem and more of like things like taxes or entrepreneurship or sales or for the people that want that, like, I wish there was a trade school for people, you know, probably like you and probably like me and like a lot of other people that might be listening to this, that just aren't meant to sit in a classroom all day and read boring books from 40 years ago that isn't, is, is not resonating at all. And just wants me, makes me want to scream and yell and run around class. Well, if I'm being real, man, I think, I think we're building it. I think that's kind of where we're going when you have a lot of entrepreneurs building their own online course academies and being coming these course creators, right? Um, when you look at uh, Brendan Bruchard and you know the entire ClickFunnels uh, breakdown, uh, yourself and being able to uh, call you up and say, hey, I want to work with you so that I can get clients, right? Because I-, I tell people all the time, business is number one, the best educational tool and personal development tool that I've ever stumbled across, right? I wouldn't be half the man I am today if I didn't start a business, right? It- it's having clients in front of you telling you all of your flaws, but also mirroring your flaws so that you can see it, right? I'm not sure if you had those clients where they're like, I'm the client and what I say is what goes. And it's like, okay, so now I have procedures and protocols in place. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's also, you know, I, you watch a lot of entrepreneurs and this is where, like you said, being a pup is an entrepreneur. Uh, you might watch from the outside looking in and you're watching somebody go, the type of people that I work with are X and they're saying something that's triggering. You're like, why would they say that? That's so mean, right? And then you dig a little bit deeper and you realize like, no, you really kind of got to cut straight to the chase and separate the people that you don't want to talk to from the people that you do want to talk to. So, man, I'm, I'm with you. And I think that we're getting there because if college is online now and we already have all these uh, course academies, YouTube videos, we've stepped into the how-to wave. Um, I, I think it's only a matter of time for before the people who really want to uh, be entrepreneurs, there's just a massive rush and it's just uh, people like yourself and myself, you know, guiding them along the journeys of, no, it's okay. Your, your ego is okay. It's just a little bruised right now. Mm-hmm. It's true. It is true. And the, the, 
I feel like, I mean, I don't want to sound like that old man. That's always like, you know, people don't know how to deal with rejection anymore because the truth is it's, that's a hard thing for anybody. And me right. growing up, that was always a tough thing. I remember for me, like the, one of the greatest gifts or one of the best learnings I ever had as a kid was I always played basketball growing up and I always played like on the, you know, the travel, the advanced teams, whatever eighth grade, I got cut. And, um, my dad was like, or no, sorry. Yeah. I got cut from my eighth grade team. My ninth grade team, I, I made the freshman team and, mm -hmm. uh, I wasn't getting enough playing time. And my dad's like, so what you do, if you want more playing time, I'm not going to say anything like your job is if you want more playing time, go to the coach and don't say, can I have more playing time? Say, what can I do to earn more playing time? What do I need to do in practice to show you that I deserve more playing time? And then, you know, I'd had that conversation and led to me having a good end of the year, led to me being a captain the next year and being a, you know, a solid varsity player for a few years as well. But um, that would all stem from my dad being like, no, if you want this thing, no one's going to make this easier for you. You have to have that tough conversation, but we got to have those conversations. We got to learn how to deal with your, with, with the rejection. I mean, even today, when I send a cold email and I see a response that's negative, like, yeah, it's like a quick, you know, punch to the gut, of course, but you know what? It's like, we bounce right back. Like so many of these experiences, I think about when I was a senior year, starting that entrepreneur program, my advisor and I held a, a big event and this was like politicians, business leaders, all these people from the area. My job the next day was to send a mass email to all those people. And this is to show how far I've come from an email standpoint. I didn't know about BCC. I didn't know about, you know, sending mass emails. So I just put everyone on the two. So every, all these politicians, emails, everything got leaked. And I remember my advisor, Brenda, she came in, she's the best. She's like, Adam, we got to have a conversation. And she was great about it. It was great learning. And I never made that mistake again, but sometimes we got to jump a little bit too fast to, uh, to realize what mistakes we make and how we can do better in the future from it. But you can't avoid mistakes. Wow, I, I love that you said that because if, if I, I have to be honest with myself on what has made myself successful in my entrepreneur journey, it's the fact that I've made a ton of those stupid mistakes, right? Yep. Um, I was, uh, for anybody who, who understands like Linux and that sort of stuff, I was a Linux admin when I was around 1920. And I didn't know shit about, you know, maintaining a entire system that kept planes in the air and kept track of man hours and all of that. And I deleted something that was called the group file because it was corrupted. I thought I could just delete it and replace it. No, it brought the entire system down for hours. And everybody's looking at me like, hey, idiot, <laughs> what would you do that for? And I'm in the military. So there's no there's no soft coddling anything. There's mm -hmm. like, hey. You're an idiot. You're staying here until this comes back up. Right. And eventually we got it fixed and I learned a lot. Right. Um, I learned, hey, maybe research some of your things and talk to some people before you, you do it. But I, I've also realized the, the growth that I've gotten from that experience is immeasurable. But the type, the most of the people that I come across that uh, want a business coach, for example, they want somebody to hold their hand so that they don't make those mistakes. And point of, part of what I try to tell people is if you're too afraid to make those mistakes, you're too afraid to make the right decisions as well. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm glad that you kind of confirmed that as well, right? Like you, that, that, what you, the story you just told is no small issue leaking, you know, politicians' emails. Mm -hmm. And this is coming from the cybersecurity side of the house. Uh, but being able to make that mistake and come through it and handle it with grace, like, that's the stuff that entrepreneurs are made of. So kudos, man. Hats off to you. Um, 
so right now we're normally at the part of the podcast where we do something called story for a story. And you seem like a guy that's got some cool stories. So you tell a story. Uh, it could be a wild, crazy story. Let the people uh, get to know you a little bit and I'll match whatever level of story you give me. All right. This is a, this is a, a business story. I think it'll be kind of interesting. So when we were launching, uh, when we were launching my tech, I think this was our big launch. And we had, again, college student organizations from all over the country signing up for the platform. So part of what I would do in the beginning stage of the business, my, my focus was on growing the student side of the house. So I was constantly reaching out to students. So I had a big email list ready to go for students, most of which were coming from BYU. So most of which were coming from BYU. So people know BYU, you know, very religious college, obviously. So I, I'm talking to my, uh, my business partner, what can I do to write something really creative? Long story short, the, uh, the idea was to have in the subject line, sign the F up, you know, F asterisk CK up. And then like in the body of the email, it was like, you know, kidding, kidding, you know, whatever. And then talked more about what we do and hope you sign up. So anyway, I was taking a trip home. My, my, uh, my family lived in New York at the time. And so I was leaving Boston. I just sent the email. I'm ready to go. I'm like, all right, I'm having a nice long weekend in New York. So I'm driving back home. And, you know, I didn't check my email when I was driving, obviously, but as I pulled over, I checked my email and I had email after email after email after email of people being like, this is the most disrespectful thing I've ever seen. You are, you know, what a bad, what a bad face of your brand you are. How could you do this? Just calling me every word in the book. And I'm like, God, I worked so hard to build up this great brand with students. Like it was a joke. I can't believe I did this. What an idiot. So uh, on the way home, I just like anyone would do when you're feeling like shit. I just stopped at McDonald's, got myself a milkshake and a burger, you know, ate my sorrows away, got back home, wrote a long email. Um, the next morning I sent it out to the students, basically just apologizing, being a little, little bit more sincere about it. Um, and I ended up getting like the best response back from those same students who were like, Hey, it's okay. You know, we, you know, we forgive you. We appreciate the apology. And, you know, even if we don't sign up now, we'd love to sign up for the future. So, uh, short story on the email route, failure route, but also like we can always make, um, we can always make a bad into a, a potential good scenario too, if we do it right. Man, I, I love that story. Um, okay, I, 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 think I, I think I got you. Uh, so this was actually about last year. Uh, there was a friend of mine who, you know, is a manager for this uh, mass mailing company. Right. She's actually an engineer for them. And they actually she makes the machines that cuts out the cards that we get in our mailboxes. Right. Um, so she was mentioning how this company was basically overworking their people. Right. They, they had a very high uh, work tempo. Uh, and anybody who's in corporate kind of understand that, you know, as your manpower goes down, the work doesn't stop. So those things kind of naturally happen. So I had offered my services. I was a uh, hypnotherapy, uh, hypnotherapist at the time I was doing hypnotherapy and I offered, um, you know, some empowerment speak, uh, speaking a workshop. And, you know, there were several questions asked as to, you know, my credibility, whether or not, you know, this was something that I had done before, whether or not this was something that had lasting results as, as was their right, right? Like these are very viable questions to ask. And I remembered, you know, the, all of the questions and all of the uh, answers were provided. And when it was pointed at me, I was perfectly fine because I'm the entrepreneur. I'm the person that was supposed to be 
you know, prepared to answer those questions. And, you know, my friend called up one day and this is where I kind of had to check my ego again. Right. And I, I really had to uh, grow up a little bit. And she told me, she was like, what she was basically told was that, you know, the taking care of the staff, taking care of their workers wasn't the priority right now. Mm -hmm. You know, they would need to do something for the managers beforehand. And, you know, I, I, that, that was where I kind of lost drive to even step into that environment. And I was still, you know, I still reached out to her. I made sure that I, I offered some, you know, free training to, you know, her and her staff, but it was the fact that I, the company could have threw me under the bus all day, any day, right? That, that made perfect sense to me. I was an outsider. I'm supposed to be the scapegoat for whatever you're doing, right? But they, they were just, hey, you are not a priority. Mm. I was like, that, that really hurt my feelings. But it, it also taught me um, a lot about the angles of which I should be trying to get into these companies. Because why that hurt my feelings was I felt like I put my friend in a position where she had to hear that. Right, right. Advocating for me to come uh, talk to them. And, you know, I, I really understand, hey, let me let me step up all of my marketing a bit. Let me start step up all of my stuff a bit so that uh, my people get a lot better to with reaching out to people directly. And I say all that because at, at this point, it, it really brings to light how important a business like yours is where you are able to cold call people, where you are able to take some of the sometimes these very touchy subjects and jump in with an email, jump in with something impersonal and remain the outsider so that your allies and your friends aren't the ones getting hurt through putting you in place sometimes. Uh, but yeah, man, that 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 one taught me a lot. Yeah, that, that is an interesting one because it is true. It's like, how do you and then as part of what we focus on now, like part of cold email, cold outreach, just marketing in general, frankly, is it's demoralizing. And how can you put yourself in front of that so that you're taking the blows? So you're taking the blows so that the other person is not, whether it's a client, whether it's a friend, whether it's a colleague. I think part of that is leadership is knowing if you are able to handle the blows, how can you take it so that someone else doesn't have to? No, that and definitely. I think that's also a it's not just entrepreneurship, but leadership in general, right? Like, of course, I, I don't want any of my, you know, team members taking any blows from me. I don't like, I, I'm the lightning rod, right? If there's anything jacked up about this process, let it be me. My, you know, human lifespans are very short. Companies live longer than we do, especially if they're uh, built based on teams and processes and systems. So let, let me be the lighting, lightning rod for all of that. And you know, I'm pretty comfortable with being the bad guy anyway, you know? All yeah, right. it's true. It's true. So, so tell us one more time, how can people get in, uh, how can people get in contact with you? How can people work with you if they want to work with you? I'm guaranteeing they're going to want to work with you, right? Why wouldn't they want to work with uh, someone who's matured in this entrepreneur game and uh, doing some of the hardest entrepreneur work there is, which is tech entrepreneurship? Right. Uh, I think people kind of take it for granted who techies are and the, 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 the diversity and personalities that are in the tech industry. So how can people get a hold of you? How can they work with you? Yeah. So in terms of social media, I'm most active on Instagram and you can just find me at Instagram uh, at Adam I Rosen, A-D-A-M-I-R-O-S-E-N. 
in terms of uh, the website. If you want to check out more about what we're doing with cold email outreach, it's eocworks.com. So eocworks.com. And then uh, my email is adam at eocworks.com. All right. And then our last uh, tidbit is, is there anything that you would like to leave our audience with? What is the last thing that you would leave them with? Figure out how every single day you can energize yourself. When I'm at my best, it's when I'm at my best energy. When I'm at my worst, it's when I'm not in my best energy. So I think that's the one of the best tricks as human beings is if we can figure out how to energize ourselves each and every day when we're feeling down, how do we get our energy? Um, when we need a boost, how do we get our energy? Because if we can figure that out, that's kind of winning life because we all know how we perform when we're feeling good, when we have good energy, and we all know how, we're, how we perform when the opposite is happening. So that will be my number one takeaway. That's my number one focus for myself is how do I get my energy up each and every day? And for everybody listening, go be great.